God is busy doing something in Asbury and all over the world. Brothers and sisters, I believe that there is good news, that Yeshua has come for his people, that the Father in heaven has a plan. And part of this plan was that he sent his Holy Spirit, that he has come to send a comforter to be with us, comfort us, and even empower his people to teach them all things. But I want to submit to you that there's something amazing that the father wants to do in these days we are living in now. And we are witnessing some of that all over the world in pockets. I want to submit to you that what we are starting to see and will likely see more and more is something that we saw in the first century of the early church. We saw this with the disciples and and their disciples. But at the same time, I want to submit to you that that we need to be yearning and crying out for God to revive us, to bring revival into our midst, our communities, our churches and into the world. Today, I am super excited and I am honored. I have a special guest to introduce to you all to speak with me about some of these things and more. Uh, Dr. Craig Keener. Uh, Dr. Craig Keener, thank you so much for coming on here with me. I am so honored. Uh, please uh, introduce yourself. <clears throat> well, you're, you're very kind. It's a privilege to be with you. And I'm a professor of New Testament. Uh, well, I teach New Testament. Professor of Biblical Studies is the title at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. And I'm married to Dr. Medin Musunga Keener from Congo in Central Africa. So I know you're familiar with Africa. Uh, so you're both you're both Africans. But um, <clears throat> and uh, I guess I can tell you how I became a follower of Jesus. Yeah, I'd love to hear some of that. I would like to just share with the audience also uh, Dr. Keener is the author of 34 books with 1.4 million copies sold or in circulation. Books have won 30 national and international awards, including six in Christianity Today. These include the IVP Bible background commentary, the New Testament and major academic commentaries. He has also authored roughly 100 academic articles, seven booklets and to roughly 200 popular level articles. He was president in 2020 of the Evangelical Theological Society, and he's married to Dr. Medine Keener. Uh, I just wanted to share that as well. I know you are such a humble man, um, but Brian and sisters, he has done such amazing things for the body of Christ. Uh, doctor, please continue. I would like to you to yeah share a little bit with us just briefly about your journey and how you find found Yeshua. Yeah, <clears throat> I was an atheist. I grew up in a, in a non-Christian household. And, you know, yet I started to wonder because the stakes are kind of high when you think about it. Um, it's Blaise Pascal, a noted mathematician who concluded that the stakes are really high. If you're wrong about God, you know, <laughs> you've got eternity at stake. And I didn't know Pascal's wager at that point, but I, I really started thinking about it, reading Plato and, and so on. Uh, I didn't read the Bible at that point, but I started saying, God, if you're out there, please show me. And if anybody listening doesn't know God, doesn't have a relationship with God, doesn't hurt to ask him to give you one because he's happy to show himself doesn't always jump through our hoops actually he he normally doesn't jump through our hoops he may not show you the way you're expecting but in my case some people shared with me the gospel how jesus died for me and rose again i walked home they, they weren't very good at answering my questions so in terms of apologetics they hadn't been trained in that and some other things they hadn't been trained in. But they gave me the gospel. And when I got home, God was in the room with me. I'd studied different religions and philosophies, but 
that's not what converted me. I, God was in the room with me, and you know, that messes up your atheism. It's like, well, uh, maybe I wanted a different kind of evidence, but it's not something that may convince somebody else hearing, hearing my story. But I can tell you from the personal experience what it did for me. If God was in the room with me, there's no way I'm going to say no to him. So I said, God, I don't understand how Jesus dying for me, rising from the dead, how that makes me right with you. But if that's what you say, I'll believe it. Or God, I don't know how to make me right with you. So if you want to do it, I need you to do it for me. And I felt something rushing through my body like I'd never felt before, jumped up, scared it on my mind. By the way, this is not a template for anybody else. God, God works with each of us differently. But yeah, that was the beginning of my Christian life. The little kids in Sunday school knew more about the Bible than I did. So I had to really start studying to catch up. Well, that's awesome. So how I know you also have this passion for obviously, you know, being a, a seminary professor, uh, uh, a passion for God's word for his uh, righteousness, his holiness. And then you have this, and, and maybe it started with, you know, this testimony you're sharing where you really encountered him very supernaturally. And that was really what swayed your heart towards him. But you know, you have a, a real passion also for his Holy Spirit, his spiritual gifts mm -hmm. that God still does miracles today, even through his people. You know, this is a unique, uh, if I may say, you know, a unique uh, combination where this this passion is is capped inside of your heart. How did that happen? And do you think? <clears throat> well, with the with the scriptures, with with knowing God's word, um, I guess I'll go back to, you know, when the little kids in Sunday school knew more than I did, I started cramming <laughs> like a good student who's behind. Uh, and actually, I shouldn't say that because cramming doesn't really stick it in your memory as well as consistent studying. But I found out if you read 40 chapters of the Bible a day, you can get through the New Testament every week or through the Bible every month. And so that began my my search to understand scripture. As a young Christian, I learned Bible memory verses. But as I began really digging in and reading large swaths of scripture, I began to see, okay, there's this verse, there's this verse, but there's, it's not a bunch of blank space in between. It's all connected. And so context came alive to me. And that's important because I'd hear people quoting scripture and be able to think, okay, this is the context of that passage and know if they were using it in an appropriate manner. And then this, the, uh, the same, the same approach as I was reading scripture, I began to realize how often we weren't taking into account the, the genre, the literary, the literary type. So, you know, there's a difference between how you write poetry, how you write science fiction, how you write a bomb threat. Please don't, don't write any bomb threats. But in the Bible, I mean, when Paul says he's writing to believers in Rome or, or in Corinth, we need to take that into account. This is a letter. So there's certain principles of how you read letters and certain principles how you read, narr read narratives and so on. The, the Bible is an inspired text. And that means because it's a text, we need to use normal textual methods to understand it. But because it's an inspired text, it means we expect to hear God's voice there. And we need to take both of those into account. And with um, a lot of things, as, as I began to realize, okay, this is a letter to the Corinthians. Mm, sometimes I didn't understand what he was addressing, like women wearing head coverings and so on. And I needed to go back and learn elements of the, the culture that were addressed, you know, the kind of situations he was addressing. The holy kisses, too. That would have gotten me in some trouble <laughs> <laughs> if I hadn't gone back and studied that because I was like ready almost ready, but it was kind of scary, um, especially with me being a sanitation freak. But anyway, I, I, uh, so I, I started learning more and more of those things. 
But in terms of the experience of the spirit, I hope I don't freak anybody out. I, you you can always edit this part out if you need to. But anyway, no. um, it was it was it. two days after that <laughs> that conversion experience I mentioned, and I walked into a church. The pastor asked me if I was sure that I was right with God, sure that I was saved. And I said, no, I don't know if I did it right. <laughs> and so he led me in the sinner's prayer. And uh, of course, you know, other things would follow that. But at this point, I felt the same overwhelming sense of God's presence. But I figured, okay, it's safe. I don't have to like jump up scared like I did two days earlier. I felt the same overwhelming sense of God's presence. And God was so glorious and so awesome. There was no way I could I could honor him with words worthy of him unless he gave me the words to do it. And that would be okay in English, but God knows lots of languages. It started coming out in another language. And I'd never heard of that before. And you know, I'd only been a Christian for two days. I hadn't read the Bible yet, so I didn't know that was mentioned in there. So that being the beginning of my Christian life, I definitely, well, when I read the Bible and, and people explained to me more about the Bible, then I understood, okay, this is part of a, a wider repertoire of spiritual gifts. And yeah, I don't have all the gifts, but since I have the gift of teaching, a teacher needs to be able to seek to equip the whole body of Christ. So that means we have to be able to teach even about what the Bible says about gifts that we don't have personally. And so I want to incorporate all of that. The, the Bible bears witness to the work of the Holy Spirit, not just gifts, but fruit and everything. And the Spirit, clearly the true Spirit, leads us back to the Jesus of the Bible and to Scripture. Wow. That's beautiful. I, you know, I think that's so important to keep in mind because, it, you know, it becomes easy for us to become so passionate about his word as we all are, but then lose sight of, and, and let me say, rely on our, what we have learned and our knowledge. And as much as um, we're destroyed for lack of knowledge and the truth sets us free, uh, at the same time, the Holy Spirit is a big part. There's spirit and there's truth. And, and that's so amazing. Professor, you were, you are a professor of seminary at Asbury Seminary. So you are quite intimately involved with Asbury. And I know that you were also present at the recent event, the event that I believe is still ongoing um, at Asbury University there, whatever we want to call it, a revival and outpouring, we're not going to get stuck on terminology. But uh, I'd love for you to just share with us just some of your on the ground what did you see? What did you experience? What do you think is happening there? And what do you think it means in terms of the bigger picture of what God might be doing all around the world? <clears throat> is that seven questions? Anyway. Yeah, go for the first, <laughs> and I'll remind you of the, the seventh um, later. That's <laughs> my professor. I do need to be reminded. That's fine. Let, let me um, back up just a few years. Uh, give, give a good teaser up front, but when I was walking across the university campus a few years ago to get to the seminary, because we live on the university side, um, well, beyond, beyond their campus, but I teach at the seminary, there was a zealous African-American freshman by the name of Lena Marlowe, and she, she stopped me as I was walking across campus. We had never met each other. She said, sir, may I pray for you? I said, sure. <laughs> and so I got down on the sidewalk and she laid hands on my head and, and prayed for me. And so I've, I've kept in touch with, with Lena periodically since then, recognizing, okay, she's a young woman of God. She's very, very zealous for Jesus. Well, Lena is part of the gospel choir, which is predominantly African-American, but it's mixed. And on Wednesday morning, February 8th, they were singing in chapel. Now, 
Asbury University normally has chapel three mornings a week for 45 to 50 minutes. But this time they sang a song at the end, but they just they just love to worship Jesus. And so after they got down off the stage, some other students stuck around and they just all sang and worshiped together. And after a while, some more students came in after after their class. Lena told me she she skipped her <laughs> class right after chapel as a professor. This is not something I recommend, but uh, this was a special uh, experience. The, and, and they were experiencing the spirit being poured out. And I didn't hear about it until that evening. I was at home and my wife was, uh, I, I was actually working on my current writing project, which is a detailed commentary on Mark. And I'm like, you know, just set everything aside. Let me get this, get this done. I'm trying to be disciplined with it. And my wife calls downstairs and she says, Hey, you've been praying for this. How come you're not over there? And I said, praying, praying for what? What are you talking about? And she said, the outpouring of the spirit. Um, and of course, you know, we pray for the spirit's work in our own lives, but we also can pray for the spirit's work collectively in our, in our community, in our church, on our campus, or for, for other, other places, certainly. Um, which, of course, Luke eleven thirteen invites us to do that. And a number, number of other passages in the Bible do as well. So I, I was, you know, once she told me what was going on, I said, yeah, let's get over there. So we, we went there and there were, there were some people leading in prayer and worship and other people were at the altar pouring their hearts out before God. And some people were just, you know, chatting in the presence of God. Uh, so it's not like everybody was intense at that, at that moment. I didn't feel anything at that point other than, you know, what I normally feel when I pray, except it was so easy to pray. It was like, you know, I was there three hours and just enjoying it and not really thinking about um, how much time was going by. And, but I mean, it was like normal prayer for me. I'm, 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 I'm worshiping God. And while I'm worshiping God, I'm getting all these insights on Mark to add, <laughs> add to the commentary. But that's, again, he works with everybody differently. I, Doubt anybody else was getting insights for their Mark commentary at that point. But it kept going. The worship kept going. And at the beginning, it was a lot of a lot of people repenting, confessing, you know, giving up pornography or whatever, whatever it was. But then after a few days, I felt like it really went deeper, or at least that was my experience because I know there were other people experiencing things and feeling things way before I did. Um, and yeah, but for anybody who wasn't feeling something, my thinking was it's not about what we're feeling. It's about giving God the honor that is due him. And that was the focus. That was one consistent focus throughout the focus on holiness, the awesomeness of God. And we were in God's presence. And so I, I talked with um, a person who was teaching French during the outpouring in 1970. Um, am I going into too much detail? You're good. You can. Okay. Uh, and she, she was telling me that the presence of God was so palpable two blocks away from the campus that, you know, you, you couldn't speak without recognizing you were speaking in the presence of God. Of course, we're always in his presence, but there was just this overwhelming sense that the spirit was bringing home to us. And that happened here as well. Uh, and, and, and that's very special. That's very special be because yes. ultimately, you know, I think that's a lot of people are kind of scratching their head at, you know, what's happening there and what had been happening in terms of, you know, what sparked this, you know, because we're trying to use our intellect and our human minds and ways of thinking. We're, well, is it because this was prearranged? Is it because, the, you know, we're, <laughs> because that's what we're, we're, we're kind of programmed to do as people. But uh, the Holy Spirit can sometimes just do something and supernaturally do something supernaturally in terms of he draws people 
and you're there and it's like i don't want to leave and i don't I, and i just feel and he's like like dr craig keener said it's you know he's he's all every he's always with us but there's this he's making himself so known right now in this place in this fellowship this community right now and that is obviously there's some supernatural element to it and that's why all these these youth wanted to be there instead of all the other things they they could rather do which is you know for me so telling in of itself because i was i was at university and and i know what university kids like to do uh, we were all many of us were and so you know and i think that's what a lot of people may not realize because a lot of people are you know a little bit skeptical about it but i think that we have to at least see this for that at least that well there's something different happening at least in that sense in asbury do you find yeah. that that's kind of what you experienced yeah yeah it was spontaneous it wasn't it wasn't anything planned in fact the the university's leaders had to scramble after after the fact to figure out you know do we leave the chapel open what do we do uh, because it was it was so unplanned although it, it wasn't unplanned by god i mean the timing was very significant there was already scheduled and i don't i don't know even how many of the students at the university knew this but on february 23rd was supposed to be the collegiate day of prayer for different campuses and in reviving that practice going back to 1800s and maybe maybe early 1900s the people who had planned that had said well let's Let's do it at Asbury because they have a history of revivals, and the last, the last big one, you know, using the term revival, was like 50 years ago. But you know, there's still a memory of that. So let's let's plan it at Asbury. So Asbury was going to be the host campus for this on February 23rd, and it looks like God got the campus really <laughs> ready for something that was meant to, to spill over. But again, the students in the gospel choir weren't thinking of that. I had heard about it sometime last semester, but I didn't remember. I didn't remember when it was scheduled or the name of it or anything. So, yeah, it was it was uh, beautifully timed, but <laughs> timed timed by the Lord. But you know, at the same time, uh, so there's there's this fact that it's happened before. Why do you think Asbury mm -hmm. is experiencing this? Is it is there a a outcry is there prayer and fasting is there what is it that do you think has caused it to be be this hub or this place where you know every so many years something like this sometimes has happened in the past before i think that it's because asbury has a heritage that makes it open to this i've experienced it in some other places too although not mm. for two weeks straight, 360 hours of worship straight. Although there are places where that's going on too. Yeah. But, uh, and I've, I've, I've experienced it on, um, it, uh, my undergraduate college campus, sometimes the spirit fell so much during chapel that we wouldn't be able to, <laughs> we'd try to go to class, but we wouldn't make it there. The, the, just the, all we could do was worship and pray. It was just so strong that, you know, we'd be lining the halls outside the classrooms, just worshiping and <laughs> most of us didn't make it in. Um, and that may sound strange to people, but you have this in the Bible. I mean, you have it like in 1 Samuel 19, and these weren't particularly godly people. I mean, you had the, um, Samuel was presiding over the prophets and David was there, but then you had people coming to kill David or, or seize David and they fall down flat and they start prophesying and then you have uh, Saul coming to do it and he falls down and starts prophesying David gets away um, just as not because these people who came to kill David were godly they obviously weren't <laughs> acting very godly but the Spirit of the Lord was so strong in that place and you have this obviously in the book of Acts which is best known for in terms of particular books of the New Testament um, but when I first came to interview at the seminary, probably in 2010 or 2011, I, I was interviewing there in the morning. I'm not a morning person, 
I have no idea what I said. I don't know why they hired me. But uh, by the afternoon, I, I walked across the street because I, I had read about the outpourings that had been experienced at Asbury before. Um, now, when we talk about outpourings or people call them revivals or whatever you want to call it, you know, it's just nomenclature. Some of these things are like a catch-all category. We might want to distinguish certain kinds of things. College revivals, sometimes like a couple weeks long, as opposed to, you know, maybe the Second Great Awakening, which is decades long. <laughs> uh, they're, 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 you know, some, some of these things could be classified differently. But in any case, I, I had heard about the 1950 and 1970 outpourings. I hadn't heard yet about the 1905 and 1908 ones or any any of the others, but um, and I didn't have all the dates in my mind. But I just wanted to look inside the chapel, and when I looked inside the university chapel, and I saw emblazoned across the top of the back of the auditorium, "Holiness unto the Lord," I just felt like the wind of the Spirit blow through me. And again, it's. It's the experience of the spirit that converted me to begin with. So uh, I know the spirit's with us, not just when we feel that, but sometimes I do feel that in a special way. And it was like, okay, there's still a heritage of this here. There's still embers. The Lord can bring it back into flame. And so I kept praying for a corporate, a collective experience of the spirit like what had happened then, something like what had happened then. And I know I wasn't the only one. There have been other people praying for decades for, right. for this to happen. And, you know, when we think about even further biblical examples, you know, I'm always reminded most, most of all, perhaps, of the most famous, you know, Acts chapter 2, where Peter stands up and explains what had just happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And, you know, he's, he quotes the prophet Joel and he speaks regarding a the prophecy of the last days right and and of course they were on the hat they were there in the last days but we're even more so in the last days and and he goes and he speaks and he says well in the last days i will pour out my spirit upon you know young men old men and i will give dreams and visions and i will speak prophetically and all of these amazing things will happen and you know i, I cannot help but always be reminded of that scripture when when I look around me in this world that I live today as a believer so much closer to my Lord's return. And that means I need to have an expectation. I need to have a hunger to see a outpouring, a revival, a, a move of the spirit. And, you know, I think a lot of people, they have um, some some people have lost sight. They've they have uh, looked at scriptures like the uh, talking about the great falling away, which will occur. And that's that's real. That is there. There is a great falling away prophesied to occur. But the father is not just going to stand back. I believe the father also has a plan in, in, our, in his youth and our children and in his people. So, you know, I, I'd love for everyone who's listening to this to to think about, you know, what is my heart posture towards this, the possibility that the father may want to actually work in and through me in this world and let his holy spirit work in and through me to be a light to people around me um so yeah i just wanted to add that thank you doctor i want to also ask could you share a little bit about you know previous uh, both biblically you can reference or historically uh, things of that this nature that has happened in your memory sure <clears throat> and and um, in keeping also with what you said about the mm -hmm. last days, we, we do have in Scripture a lot of teaching about warnings about things going wrong in the last days. And Paul actually applies those to his own day. So it's like apostasy, th false teachers, things like that were all already happening in the first century. And they're still happening. So, but it, just like that, you also have the outpouring of the Spirit still happening. And in Revelation, I know there's different approaches to that, whether it's referring to the present or whether it's referring to something just before the end of the age, although the present could be just before the end of the age. Certainly, it's before the end of the age. Uh, you see 
you see awful things happening, but you also see God's people who are truly his people being so zealous as witnesses for Christ and, and speaking the spirit of testimony is uh, the spirit of, of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, you know, um, Revelation 19.10, people going all over the place proclaiming Jesus. And so I think it's fair to see both. And, and in terms of, you know, there's certain things we need to do day by day. We practice our, our spiritual disciplines, as we as we might call them, you know, pray and and fast and study the Bible and certain things we just do regularly and not not waiting for something dramatic, something something so out of the ordinary. Just like, you know, God created creation with its regularities around us, but sometimes he'll do miracles. So in the same way, sometimes God does something special and we want to respect that and be open to that and not be like the people on the day of Pentecost who said, oh, they're, they're just drunk. <laughs> and All Peter right. has to say, it's too early in the morning for that. <laughs> you, 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 uh, you, you have a pattern with this. And I'll give some others, but especially focus on Acts. But I mentioned like in 1 Samuel 19, you also have in, in Numbers chapter 11, where uh, to help Moses out, because he's, he's, he's like exhausted, he's doing too much of the work, so to delegate it, God, God pours out the Spirit on the 70 elders, and they prophesy for a while. But after they stop, nobody's told the two others, Eldad and Medad in the camp, Oh, you're supposed to stop now. <laughs> they keep prophesying. And somebody runs and, and tells Moses, look what they're doing. And Joshua, son yeah. of Nun, says, my Lord, make them stop. To which Moses responds in 1129, I wish that all God's people were prophets. And of course, Joel prophesies a time when that will happen yeah. um, in, the, in the generic broader sense of prophet. Your, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see, see vision. Uh, yeah, and your old men will dream dreams. I'm an old man, so I should know what, uh, how that works. But when, when you get to, and, and there are other occasions too in the Old Testament, and different, again, different definitions of revival. We've got different models for a lot of those in the Bible. But when you get to Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they're praying together in unity and then in acts 2 the spirit falls in acts 4 they're praying together and in 431 and when they had prayed together the place where they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak the word of god with boldness acts chapter 8 when the apostles in jerusalem heard that the samaritans had received the word of god they sent peter and john to come pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So uh, in the particular aspect of the Spirit's work that, that Acts emphasizes. And you have another collective outpouring in, in Acts 13.52, where it says they were all filled with the Holy, Holy Spirit and joy. And Acts 19, you've got another collective outpouring of the Spirit. And Luke already prepares us for this in his first volume in, in the Gospel of Luke because Luke 3.21, Luke is the only evangelist who tells us that Jesus was praying when the Spirit came on him like a dove. So there's a pattern there, but there's also the promise in Luke 11.13. The parallel passage in Matthew 7.11 says that God will give good gifts to those who ask him. But Luke focuses on the best gift of all, the gift of God's own holy presence, the, the gift of God's spirit. We ask for that, he'll give us that. And so with that in mind, I pray regularly for God to renew me and others by, by his spirit, and also for collective experiences with the spirit. Oh, amen. I, I want to ask you, um, your wife is from Congo and Africa. I'm a South African. I love that connection, you know, so we, we, we have a little bit of a, I think, experience with that side of the world as well. Um, you know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I certainly when I moved to the United States, and, and I think this is similar to many places in the West, 
there's a little bit of a difference and and I'm not really sure how to put my finger on it always, but you have written about the Holy Spirit and miracles and signs and wonders quite extensively. What would you say would be your thinking behind this seeming phenomena? I'm not saying this is true, but it's something that people definitely think about that it always looks like in, in Africa, there are so many miracles. And in the United States and in the West, it's, you know, we, it doesn't really happen. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, there are a number of things that can be said. I mean, one, one thing just off the bat, though, is that if you hear that miracles happen more often elsewhere, that's undoubtedly true because the U.S. is only 6% of the world's population. So obviously, if God is doing miracles everywhere, there's going to be more of them elsewhere. But also, he does miracles more where we need them most. When Jesus fed the 5,000 because there was a desperate situation, people needed food, he told the disciples afterwards, gather up the fragments that remain. They needed a miracle to feed the 5,000. They wouldn't need a miracle for their next meal. And God has provided all sorts of things through what he's already created. And he wants us to be good stewards of that. And so many of my, my friends in Africa say, look, we need miracles to survive. You know, God has given you the gift of medical technology. That's a gift, make use of it. So some of these places where we hear about wonderful, dramatic miracles, they are wonderful and they are dramatic. But some of those places, the infant and maternal mortality rates are still 10 times what they are here or in, in most of the US anyway. Miracles show us what God cares about. He cares about people's health. That's why we have these reports about healings in, in the gospels. He cares about people's safety. He, he stills a storm. He cares about uh, people's hunger. He, he, he multiplies fish and, lo uh, fish and loaves. And so um, we should care about those things and work, do our best to take care of them where we can by natural means. And where it's beyond us, we, we pray <laughs> and God, God uh, multiplies. Which isn't to say don't pray. I mean, I, I normally pray if I'm sick before I go to the doctor. And if I'm better and don't have to go to the doctor, fine. But I'm really grateful for my doctor, too. That's still God's blessing. When the Bible talks about James 5, about prayer for the sick, and they'll, and they'll get better. And it talks about gifts of healings in 1 Corinthians 12. It doesn't say it has to be dramatic. It's an answer to prayer. If, if it's through medicine, it's, it's an answer to prayer. If it's gradual, it's, you know, th there are a lot of ways God can answer it. God even but made our bodies with that ability yes. to heal itself. Yes. And yes. We, we take that for as nature, but God did yes. that. So that's in of yeah. itself him. Uh, yeah, from, yeah, from a Christian standpoint, nature is creation. So we thank God for, I mean, not getting into all the debates about, you know, when and things like that, but just recognizing God is God. Is God. God is the author of all this. And so, you know, one of, the, one of the factors is God doesn't do them just to entertain us, just to show off. Uh, he, he, does, he does them where they're needed. But another factor is also he does them especially on the cutting edge of evangelism in terms of the more dramatic miracles. I mean, I, I, I've interviewed plenty of people, I mean, I know of people being raised from the dead and things like that here in the U.S., um, reports directly from the doctors. But on the cutting edge of evangelism, that's the kind of situation that you have in the Gospels and Acts, where this seems a lot more normative, maybe too strong a word, but where it seems a lot more normal to have the more dramatic things taking place. And I think that's where we see them most frequently in that more dramatic way today. So I think that's another factor. Mm. And yet another factor, oh, go, go ahead. 
Oh, I was, I wanted to add, I think that all of that is, those are wonderful. Another thought I have is uh, something Yeshua said, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, you know, he talks about this childlike faith, right, that we ought to have. Yeah. And th- this childlike faith is seemingly what moves mountains too. And I yes. wonder, you know, when I, just my personal experience with evangelism, Sometimes I feel that because of culture, and, and what I mean by that is in Africa, uh, at least in South Africa, where I can speak from, the supernatural, even in non-Christian circles of society, uh, the supernatural nonetheless is still a very prominent aspect of their life. It is very normal for them to search for healing in spiritual avenues, even if it's not Christian avenues, for example. And, and I, when I speak to someone and, and they don't know me and I tell them about my, my God, my Jesus, then I found that it seems that they have a, a childlike faith sometimes because they haven't been taught, uh, as we may have been taught, if I may say in much of the West, that's not possible or, you know, whatever they are more open by, by culture, even to the fact that a miracle, that something supernatural, something spiritual, even can bring help, freedom, whatever to them. And, you know, and, and in, in that sense, I found that there is a childlike faith, even if they don't know who I am or who my God is, there's a more innocence, a, a, a childlike faith. And wow, you say that you believe that your God can heal me. And, and I see that similarly in the scriptures, right? Where people are coming to Jesus and it's like they have this, I believe you can heal me. And I think a lot of it has to do with knowing and believing who he is as the Messiah. Absolutely. But I think there's another aspect that may be him uh, maybe them actually just also not being so kept back by their mind. If I, if I, for lack of a better word, can, can say that a, they have less skepticism and more openness to the fact that that's even possible. Do you, do you think that is, could even be playing a role? Yeah. Mark six, because of skepticism, because of the, no, not in terms of, you know, not using discernment, but in terms of, um, you know, they, Jesus could do, not do many miracles there in Nazareth because of their unbelief. And he marveled because of their unbelief. When I was in Indonesia, and this happened again, this has been in, in some different countries. People have asked me to lecture on miracles. And I'm like, why do you want me to lecture on this here? Um, and you know all the all the research that I'd done here for the West was to convince people. Well, first of all, that the accounts in the Gospels are not unbelievable, because people say, "Yeah, you can't believe that stuff," because you know if that stuff happened back then, it would happen today. So I said, "Oh, uh, you think it doesn't happen today? Let me give you some evidence for that." Uh, so at least you know, accept that this could come from my witnesses, however you explain it. And actually, it's naive not to think that it could come from my witnesses, because I mean, we've got like so so much of that that we can look to today, and from from many very credible eyewitnesses. Not everything, obviously, yes, but you know, we've got plenty of that, uh, and I could give more data on that. But I I go to Indonesia and there's or India and some other places, and they say, no, 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 we don't need to be persuaded that these kind of things happen. We want you to to give us criteria to distinguish what's really from God and what's not from God. And of course, the Bible gives us plenty of guidelines for, for that as well. So uh, different different places need, you know, different things. The Bible, the Bible equips us with both. Absolutely. And I think that that is true. And then at the same time, it's, but let us all then look to his Holy Spirit to use us in whatever way he wants to use us and be open to the, uh, the biblical ways that we see him using uh, 
well, Yeshua, his disciples, and their disciples. Um, Dr. Keener, I think uh, it'd be great to also talk a little bit about what do you think, if if anything, you know, share what your thoughts are. Um, what do you think about what is what happened in Asbury and what is now, you know, happening in many campuses? What does that do you think mean for the time we're living in? And what God's desire is to do in this world right now. Yeah. Some people have said if it's really a revival, people should be weeping. Some people have been weeping. If it's really a revival, people should have joy. Some people have joy. <laughs> if it's really a revival, people should be getting saved. Well, uh, last I heard, hundreds of people had, had come to faith in Christ. If it's really a revival, people should be repenting of sins. Well, we had a whole lot of that too. If it's really a revival, people should be reading scripture. Well, they have scripture readings regularly. Some people, I think they saw like some clips here and there. I don't know. I don't even know where the clips were coming from. I don't know how much of it was, was, um, but I mean, or, or people should be preaching repentance. People were, you know, I mean, mo most of the things people have objected about that I've read, you know, actually have been happening there, but the, the important thing isn't isn't what you call it. It's something I think that, that all Christians should rejoice in. It's been the worship of our holy God and the acknowledgement of his greatness. And also there's a, been an emphasis on what has been called radical humility in that the, the leaders don't want it to be about them. And they wouldn't let any big names come to the platform to speak. I mean, they specifically kept them from that. Um, you've had people from all, all sorts of different denominations, and when we needed overflow space from the university, we, we opened the two seminary chapels, which together can seat like a thousand people. The university ones can seat about 1,500, although there were more in there at the beginning before the fire marshal, um, <laughs> I think, probably gave the word that don't have too many people in there, which is, you know, good safety protocols are are biblical. That's why you build a fence around the roof in Deuteronomy 22, so you don't incur blood guilt. And safety protocols are, are good. But the overflow space also went to the, the nearby Baptist church, the Christian church, the um, Methodist slash Vineyard church that both share the same, same building for different service times. So it's been interdenominational. People from all sorts of different denominations have been coming but in a spirit of unity. A friend of mine, Michael McClymond, he's a revival historian at St. Louis University and wrote a piece for Christianity Today. He pointed out that it's like an ax. You have hamathumadon, uh, which is a Greek word, meaning they were they were all in with one mind, with one spirit. He said, people who never met each other before will never meet again in this in this life, coming together in this place, and and joined together in heart in the worship of God. So it's something that should encourage all believers. But you know, it's not about Asbury, just like it's not about any of the leaders, right. the student leaders or the administrators trying to trying to uh, help them provide support. It's not about Asbury. It's about what God does and what God can do. Nobody can take credit for what happened there except God. And, you know, if you, you know, you can take it as an encouragement for what God can do elsewhere. If you don't want to take it as encouragement, you still have the Bible encouraging you to be open to what God can do elsewhere. So we want to welcome all that God will do. And in terms of the, the times, there have been different seasons in history where God has done something special um and you know of course different times when people can say we're in the last days because since pentecost we have been in the last days so it's it's always always appropriate to say that but as you said if anything if i can coin a phrase we're we're in laster days than we were back then so <laughs> we definitely right. should be looking for for what god will do now but you had uh, different seasons of revival like one, one of them 
well, the second great awakening was one of those. The first great awakening also, um, these happened with regard to people from different theological traditions. So it's not limited to, to one part of the body of Christ. It, it's happened with, with a lot of different parts of the body of Christ. But you had, I think it was around 1904, the Welsh revival. 1905, you had uh, the, the outpouring at Pandita Ramabai's orphanage in India. And you had, uh, right after that, the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles. Now, in many of these cases, something went wrong because uh, I don't know anything wrong with the Pandita Ramabai's orphanage, but, um, but the, you know, many, in many cases of what we call revival, uh, and, and Jonathan Edwards talked about this too during the First Great Awakening, people are people. So right. sometimes people are going to mess up uh, and sometimes they mess up what God's doing. Um, but sometimes what God is doing is so, so strong that you know, you've got people messing up on the side, but still it keeps on going. Right. And, and we have and an so enemy, people, right? Like, oh, yeah, 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 exactly. You know, we, we're, we have a battle against principalities and, and yes. I think it would be we shouldn't be ignorant to think that he's just going to sit back, right, and and let this yeah. go on without trying to uh, hijack or or bring in counterfeit or bring in pride or or all the things that that yeah. happens and that that work yes. operate in people sometimes. And that's why I think a lot of people they don't think about well, even if God, okay, if we can just I know some people are skeptical, but like if if there is a real revival from the Lord happening on the earth. Yeah. It is a guarantee that there is going to be other strange things that happen that we need to be discerning of and we need to stand against if there's anything not biblical. Absolutely. Um, but we shouldn't, if we see anything like that, stand back and say, oh, well, this cannot any now everything. Nothing is of God because no. Right. Yeah. I think that would actually be what what our enemy would desire is for us to be confused so much so as to call even the real thing, the authentic, a counterfeit. Just like those Pharisees with Yeshua, you know, when he was casting out demons and this beautiful thing happens and they come and they say, no, this is Bobby Elzebub. You know, they they didn't like where it was coming from so much so that they 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 lost all discernment of fruit. And and that's, I think, so key for us is to look at what what is good fruit. Look, let's look for that good fruit. We can see it even as it happens, just as anyone who, who runs forward uh, in a, at, with an altar call, we can say that's good fruit. They're repenting. They're giving their life to, to Yeshua and praise God for that. Um, and then we'll look at long term on their and their life as well. But we still rejoice for that moment, yeah. that that moment they run yeah. forward. And I think All that's of heaven what, rejoices. Yes, a, yes. Amen to that. I'm 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 in the minority. All of heaven is rejoicing. And <laughs> and so, yeah, I think we should all have that positive hope even if we know that some may fall away even if we know that things may happen that aren't good we still have that hope for what god is doing yeah yeah every every outpouring revival awakening whatever there have always been detractors and worse yet there has normally been misinformation and slander circulated about it. So, you know, it's it's no surprise that it happens. The sad thing is that sometimes it happens through Christians and people who should know better, but sometimes it's they're trusting the wrong people and the wrong voices and yeah. So, mm, but we, what we wanna do is welcome the Holy Spirit and always always follow him and and when god gives us signs of this then let's let's embrace them take them as encouragement to me it was such an encouragement because you know praying for years for this and then when it actually happens the first week i'm walking around especially when people started coming from outside that wasn't that definitely wasn't planned that was i mean it, the university was not putting out information saying you know please everybody come it was logistically really complicated. It wasn't, but you know, once it hit the media, then people started coming because they were desperate. And when I saw the crowds, it was like, yeah, Jesus, when the crowds came, he felt compassion for them. He wanted to minister to them. 
and that's a good thing. But he also wanted to take his disciples aside sometimes, and that's why the university has said, okay, this is enough. It, from You can come up to this point, but after this point, this is just, we're going to focus on the students. This is commissioning. Take it out, spread it elsewhere, because um, God isn't just for one place, but we need to we need to focus on, you know, the way it started here was was for our students and discipling them in this and and, and spreading it um, further on the campus. But, you know, Absolutely. other campuses are also experiencing it. It's not just an Asbury thing. Right. So and, and I we, think, we want to welcome it. I think what's so key is that we we're reminded of what you're, you know, I think you're getting at is that this is not just about an event, uh, uh, coming together. It's really what it's about, uh, what it's supposed to do to us as individuals and then as the body of Christ. And I think that it has to be that we become, if I may just use this terminology, that we become revival wherever we go, that we become a move of the spirit, that, we, that, that the Holy Spirit moves through our temples as we are supposed to be temples. And so, uh, Dr. Keener, what would you say to someone who, let's just say they, they've been at Asbury, they, or they've been at something like that, or they, and God has, has touched their heart, put a fire in their heart to pursue him deeper. What would you say to someone like that now to, as next steps for them to continue what happened to them in their life? It depends on the ways that God touched them, but obviously to go deeper, be grounded in scripture, learn to discern God's voice more clearly, which again, scripture is, is the ideal foundation for that. Um, pursue holiness, passion for God, but you don't have to try to, you know, recover the feeling or work up the feeling. It's uh, good. It's something we can look back to as an experience that God has given us something we won't forget, but it's a beginning. And that's that's what we said in the closing night on, on February 23rd, when they said, okay, this is a commissioning to go out. This is not the end. It's the beginning of a new phase. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. I mean, Acts 1.8, you receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. I yeah. I think that there's this hunger that's coming into the hearts of many, not just and again, you know, we're we're talking about Asbury, but I think that's just a that's an example. That's that's one place, right. but I think it's a picture of what. God really is starting to do in many places all around the world, not just in America. Um, we have heard reports from all over the world of things like that, even if it didn't get the same media attention or worldwide attention. Uh, you know, God has a purpose with all things, but I think that we have to keep our eye on, okay, Lord, what role do I play in the times we are living in? And how can I be and it's, it's like Dr. Keener said, seek him deeper. Now's the time to pray, pray. Now's the time to fast. Now's the time to say, Lord, here I am. Send me, give me your Holy Spirit. Give me your spiritual gifts. Give me your truth. Help me to live in holiness and, and go and make disciples. Keep his commandments, teach them his commandments. That I think is what the Father's heart is in this time as we get closer day by day to that. And, and, and I think just a word for, for my side, you know, again, another thing I'm just thinking is the, the youth is, I think the father's after the youth very, very specially, if I can say that, I, I think he's always after the youth, but, but there's something that I think, I think he signaled that, that he's, he's heard our cries, just like when, when, uh, uh, they were crying out in Egypt, when they were enslaved and he heard their cries, I believe it's. He's heard our mm. cries for Lord, our yes. children, our children, yes. our children. And, yeah. and he's saying, I'm, I have a plan, you know, and I'm going to, mm. but we have to be a part of that plan. We have to say, Lord, use mm. us in that plan to, to not push youth mm. away, to not resist them, to not mm. even criticize mm. them, 
but to yeah. welcome them into the kingdom. And even if they have faults, which they will, because we all do, but and they're learning uh, and they're going to make mistakes as we have and will. But this grace and love of, of Yeshua has to be in us when he like when he said, let the little children come to me. Yes. So, yes. brothers and sisters, I, I think that what we're really just saying here is we're bringing you a good report where, you know, there's there was the 12 spies. There was there was bad report of the 10 and good report of the two. And we're coming and bringing a good report to you saying um, there is there is there's a promised land and there's a place that he's taking us. And, and yes, there are giants. There are there are there's an enemy we have to fight. There are things along the way. But the Lord our God is with us and he will bear us on eagles wings. And so there are other voices. There's there's going to be a lot of bad reports about about what the enemy is up to. Right. And on all the doubt that I would and the fear that that may want to put on our hearts. But we're going to say no to that and say, Lord, we're going to believe what you are busy with. And even if there are giants, we know you will overthrow them as we come to you ultimately face to face. Uh, Dr. Keener, thank you so much for being with me here tonight. Um, could you do you? Is there any last words that you would like to share? And then can you pray for us? Sure. Usually I I have some some last words, but this time you you said them. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> I'm grateful. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what you said was just, just so, so right. I, Thank you. I would, I think That's those good. are the best last words. So, Father, thank you so much for your holy grace. Thank you so much for being with us. Lord, we know it's not anything we do or could do to merit the gift of your spirit. But your spirit comes to us as a gift, Lord, and thank you for teaching me that more during during these meetings. You do delight to answer our prayers. Sometimes we may not see the fruit for many years, but you do hear us. And so, as you hear us now, we pray that you will open our ears to hear your voice that you will root us and ground us in your word ever more deeply. Lord, thank you for the gift you've given me in your word, and I pray that you'll, you'll give that to, to all those who are, who are hearing. Take us ever deeper in your word. Pray that you'll pour out your spirit upon us. Fill us with you. Fill us with your spirit of wisdom and understanding in knowing you. And... We pray that you'll fill us with power by your spirit in the inner person according to the riches of your glory so we may know the love of Christ. And we pray, Father, that you will, you will fill us with your spirit to bear witness for you. Lord, not just the 12 apostles who were models, but Lord, that all of us, you said this is for sons and daughters and for all who are far off, as many as you would call. So we, we pray that you'll continue to ever more deeply empower us by your Spirit and that all the nations of the, of the earth will come to know the glory of the Lord, the Lord whose love and compassion is so great that he gave his own life for us and whose power is so great that he has birthed new resurrection life so that all of us can, can know him and have expectation of future forever in the presence of God. Pour out your spirit upon us and make us, please, all that you have called us to be. <laughs> we don't make ourselves fishers of people. You said, come follow me, I will make you fishers of people. We look to you to do this with us in the name, the holy name of your precious son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Keener. What a beautiful prayer. And 
I know in the uh, live chat, people are very excited and thankful and they are edified. And so I, I would just like to thank you again so much. So honored for uh, such an honor for me to have you on here. Um, I would absolutely just to, like to give some of uh, your links to everyone. And I'm just going to share some of them here with everyone. Uh, if you want to know more about Dr. Keener's work, and I would highly recommend you go check it out. He has a blog craigkeener.com a youtube channel which you can find by just searching for craig keener phd and he's also on facebook dr craig keener i think if you just search his name everywhere you'll find him and i'll put his links in the description of this video for anyone who watches this later so yes again dr keener thank mm -hmm. you so much may god bless you thank you so much god bless you it's great to be with you Shalom and thank you for everyone who tuned in. Subscribe to this channel and like this video and we'll see you guys in the next one. Many blessings and shalom to you.